I want to follow up on this 50-year thing a little bit. Before Shar and I ever dated, when I was beginning to feel some attraction toward her, I asked her about Africa. I said, we shouldn't really be sending sparks toward each other if you're called to Africa, because I have nothing for it. And I didn't want to violate what God had done in calling. But she had at that point said, well, in a previous year, it, it seemed like God had been telling her to put that on the shelf, that maybe she felt like he was calling her toward ministry, but had interpreted that as missions through her childhood. And so <laughs> the crazy part of it was, kind of caught her by surprise. She goes home and fasts and prays for three days and decides I'm the one, which I sensed, and it scared me to death, you know, because I'm going, now I have to make this decision by myself. But um, obviously it worked out. But then in realizing later, in some ways, God's promise to her still wasn't ruled out, but rather fulfilled through us. And so I got brought into the promise. You know, that to me is really cool that uh, rather than just uh, saying, well, you missed that window, but rather saying, yeah, he, he brought me into a promise that I had no clue about and, and really no interest in. Now, the other part of this was for me, um, I had... You know, through the years, I had thought that I would love to do some training with pastors, and obviously I've done some here, but I always thought that it'd be of a different nature. And then kind of riding Michael's coattails in, they've already been in there 12 years, and so they've established a good name, they have contacts. And so one day, you know, you're teaching a, a, you know, a number of people, and you're realizing this kind of fills some of what I felt God was leading to me to years ago. And just to acknowledge that it wasn't something that I could orchestrate on my own. It wasn't something that I even sought on my own. But it's something God brought about on his time and his way. And I just rejoice in that. Very, very grateful for it. Uh, if I get the chance, I'll go back. Uh, you know, I just... There's, there's poverty there on a scale that I had never seen before. Uh, most of the countries without electricity. And so that means they go to bed 7.30, 8 o'clock. But like the boys were getting up to pump water at 3.30 in the morning. Um, so that's early. Um, you, you realize even with food, I came back and I tasted sugar and stuff that I don't normally taste it. It's because it hadn't been in our diet for several weeks. And you're just going, we choose what we want to eat. And we have these broad opportunities of whatever we like. And there, it's pretty much the same meal several times a day. So you got this stuff called SEMA, which is finely ground corn, uh, finer than our cornmeal. It's more like a flour. And uh, so when it's cooked, it's, it's denser than mashed potatoes. But every day with maybe some collard greens on top and possibly some beans alongside it. But uh, that's, I mean, it 
to me was flavorless, and I wasn't uh, upset at all about getting something different when we left. You know, it just, by the end, you're forcing yourself to eat it, but it's like, man, this is not what I'm used to. Um, the country itself, I think, is, is going to be an upheaval because um, there are cell phones everywhere. That was the shock, you know, where no electricity, no running water, no um, gas for heating or anything else, and yet you have cell phones everywhere, cell towers, not smartphones per se, but texting. And, you know, if it follows form for the Philippines, they get everybody used to it, then they start charging. So it's, it's free initially. But that said that introduces that whole group to the rest of the world. And so, uh, to me, it's a way of breeding discontent if, if you're seeing the rest of the world is vastly different than us. There's different opportunities. Um, one night, uh, the first seven or eight nights, I didn't sleep regular at all. I, uh, I'm not sure what was going on, they turned into beautiful prayer times for me, which I figured, I, I, I mean, I just wasn't sleepy, and so it's better to read and pray than, than just sit there. But um, I, I really began to be aware of there's a flood of junk coming to these folks as well as good through such things. You know how we've been dealing with pornography and the rest over, over the last years? Can you imagine a whole country just suddenly being exposed to other forms of junk, you know. They've had their own things. I mean, there's a reason that AIDS spreads, spread so rapidly there. Uh, apparently, wife swapping was very common. It was common for uncles to teach little girls about sex. Uh, so there's some things that are twisted, but there is more coming, you know, and you're just going, Lord, help them. And, and there's this window where we need to be able to respond um, one of the things, I guess I came back in my heart, I was quizzing one of the pastors about, um, you know, he's saying not every pastor even has a complete Bible. And some of them, two or three posts, but they don't have a bicycle or any way to get other than walking. I mean, you see people walking everywhere. You see them pushing bikes everywhere. I saw them uh, as many as two goats on the handlebars and such, they're taking them to market, or a pig, a full-grown pig tied to the bike, being pushed miles, you know, goofiness. But if you don't have cars, you don't have tractors, you don't have, you know, it's just, I didn't see a power tool in the whole country, didn't see a factory, um, didn't see a grocery store, quick marts, but there's no refrigeration, you know, to speak of. So, you know, that... That said, I'm looking at these pastors and going, okay, I start quizzing them. How much for a bike? How much for a Bible? A backpack, a rain poncho, uh, a water bottle, a, maybe a solar charger, and a micro loan for the wife, you know, so she can start her small business and help feed their family. 200 bucks. Just 200 bucks. And I'm just going, you've got to be kidding. You know, so I, I think that's something in days ahead we'll be considering more. We don't want to add to the work of what the people are doing, but we probably would need to pay someone administratively to help something like that. But that said, you're just looking and going, it's a vastly different world. 
the people that were working at this orphanage, people in their 40s at the peak of their game, so to speak, uh, the top ones are making 150 a month, and that was a good wage. Um, the ones that are making less were making 75, which is still a reasonable wage. But you're just going, that's a different world. So anyhow, um, I want to share some thoughts from Scripture. I, I imagine you'll be hearing stories from me in days ahead, enough to make you sick uh, of Malawi, but hopefully not. Uh, one of the conversations I had with a pastor in regard to Luke 14, 26 was that, you know, this is a man who's working 12 hours a day. He's living away from his family several days a week. He's running all out, and his family is too. But he, he was asking me about this verse. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children... Brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And we were discussing some of the, the significance of this particular verse. And, you know, him living away from home several days a week, he's asking me what, you know, he's saying, well, Scripture says if you, you've got to hate your wife. I'm going, well, it also says you need to hate yourself. Where does this take us? And obviously, you know, if Jesus embraced the, the great command, the second command, love your neighbor as yourself, there's another way of looking at this rather than just straight hatred, right? Um, but the prioritization is that God must take first place over our own self-will and over those relationships that are closest to us. And so that's part of the call when we embrace the cause of Christ. And as we were talking about it, I'm going, you know, as a minister, there are times when your lover is the church and not your wife. It's not appropriate, but it's part of that ego-driven goal to succeed. And so it's easy to say, oh, this is for God. And that's not necessarily true always. Now, God does call us a time for sacrifice calls all of us for sacrifice. But what we have to interpret is what is really me pushing for success and what is, what is God's desire here. And so there's a sorting and a sifting out that we have to do regularly for all of us where it's like, am I placing my wishes above what God has? Am I placing wishes for my family above what God has? What's he, what's he calling us to? And so I, I want to spend some time here just as my thoughts been on this. The following verse goes, He who does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So the question is, one of the questions is, what is your cross? Currently, is there a cross in your life? In other words, Jesus was marching to the cross. It was death to his life. So there's a death to self. What, what is the cross, what's the significance of the cross in your life? And, you know, it, it's a good prayer to say, God, what are you asking me to yield to your wishes so that I can walk in obedience unto you? You know, if he'd ask his own son this kind of thing, and, and thankfully, 
So far, none of us have had this literal cross that we're dying on, right? But, you know, there are things in life where you're just going, I need to let this, I need to set this aside. This is not as important as my relationship to the Lord. The second question that I want to ask, and, and this is really important, um, out of Hebrews, it says of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, was seated at the right hand of God. So he's saying Jesus saw beyond the cross, even as he was going to the cross. There was a certain joy in his life because of what lay ahead that allowed him to endure and despise the, the moment, so to speak. You know, to, it's not like you're going to say, Oh, I just love the idea of the cross and that I can, you know, sacrifice. And nobody thinks that way in their right mind. But what sometimes we fail to do is look beyond the cross that we're carrying, so to speak, and say there is a joy beyond this that's worth much more than this immediate event and moment. And so, you know, there's the two questions are, what is the cross that you're walking with? You know, what is, what is the thing that God is asking you to sacrifice before him? But also, what is the prize in mind that goes past this? Because Jesus had in mind a joy and, and a fulfillment that sustained him through the events. So he could look with endurance and he could look, in a sense, despising the moment and still have a joy about his life. Very crucial that we understand that. You don't just walk into the cross, well, that's part of what God's called me to. That's, that would be brutal if you didn't have a glimpse of what's beyond that. It's, uh, you know, I've been on this Genesis thing for years, you know, fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue and rule. That verse is fulfilled in Jesus when he's given a name above all names and he's given authority over all things. He came and lived in humanity and now has been given opportunity to rule all of creation. Everything connected to it. And so the fulfillment of that verse in its fullness is through the person of Jesus Christ. That was part of the joy set before him. The original call given to humanity is fulfilled through Christ who came as a human. There's a lot more to explore with that. I mean, even for you ecology types, I would guess that every single plant on this earth has a purpose and a value and a benefit connected to our lives if we understood it. Do you think God created anything in just um, uselessness? It's unlike him. It's just that we haven't figured it all out. But I guess if we pursue it enough, that would be revealed. That's, that's my hypothesis. That's wandering way down the trail. That's an opinion. Um, let's get back to the scripture. 14.28, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, 
So he gives a couple illustrations here. He says, you know, somebody goes to make a big building and they only get the foundation laid and then they run out of money. He says, that's, you know, people mock that. That's a thing you do not want to have happen, right? He says, you have to figure out how much this is going to cost before you start a project like that. And then he gives a second illustration of going to war. He says, no king is going to go to war if he thinks he's going to get beat. You know, he's going to send out a delegation and try to have talk peace. So he says, when we come to Christ and we decide to become his disciples, there is a need for us to count and say, how much is this going to cost me? As a person, how much is this going to cost? He says, we commit ourselves to that. We see the prize set before us. We see the, the joy that he is willing to make a part of us. And we say, is it worth what I'm going to walk through to see that happen? He says in the 33rd verse, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So he's just, it's amazing. The start of this particular chapter Jesus was invited to a, a ruler of the Pharisees' house, and he just starts laying into things, you know, and you're kind of going, you know, they obviously brought him in for the meal to observe him and to kind of just test his mettle, and, you know, so it wasn't just a, uh, come enjoy a meal together, but it's like, who's for lunch, you know, <laughs> It was this examination time, and Jesus doesn't disappoint him. You know, he just, he just walks through and just lists a number of things early in this chapter that he takes on about their approach to life and what they're doing. And, and so even in this, he's just saying, you're going to come after me? You're going to be a disciple? You want to carry that name, disciple? Well, this is what it costs. There has to be a prioritization of God is first in all things and a willingness to live that out. In the 17th chapter, he, uh, he comes kind of back to this theme and, and he tells a story. He says, Will any of one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? In other words, you've worked all day. Come on in and have a good meal. Sounds reasonable to us. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. So he goes, okay, you've been working all day. Now I want you to get supper ready, but you know, you're kind of filthy. Get cleaned up. You know, you're going to be serving me, so it's time to put on something decent. And, uh, you know, wash up and, and get ready, and then Serve me my supper, and then, then you can have something to eat. This rankles us because we're such a culture that's about entitlement, right? I've earned this. I, this is deserved. This is... Uh, Jesus is going, not so much. I'm providing your salvation. I'm providing you eternal life. I have invested heavily into you, so I call you to become servants. 
And that's something, I mean, we love the brother theme. We love family theme. But Jesus also taught servant. And that's something that, in a sense, we need to recover in this day because it is counterculture to what we're used to. I mean, isn't it true that even in parenting, the, the current trend is to, to do everything you can for your child so that you wouldn't squelch any creativity so that they can become all that they can be. And they can explore every avenue they want. And they will move into the fullness of life that, that uh, you know, is available. Except that that doesn't work in our lives. And it won't work for theirs. So we're making this cocoon that at some point is going to have a frustration moment because it just doesn't happen. And, and so we have to, to look at these things. Okay, what causes me to think, you know, that this is going to happen this way? Well, part of it is this. In Christ, we understand that if he calls us to something, it will be fulfilled. If he calls us into an activity and if he blesses that activity, there are things that take place beyond us. It's just like this 50-year thing, you know, where, you know, did we ever dream that that would happen? No. Did we think about it over the years? No. Did that rule out God's word? No. He decided it would take place. And so even in that, there is this awareness, yes, in Christ, powerful things can happen in the fullness of life. But if you're going to just chase your own whim or your own dream, uh, don't necessarily expect that to come true. If you're going to chase your self-centeredness and just say, you know what, uh, I'm going to make this happen. Well, it may work for a season. But God is not promising you that this is just going to go unchecked. When we give our lives to him, we are saying, I am willing to follow your leadership and your rules, and whatever, wherever that takes me, that's what we're going to do. Now, it's a beautiful life, and it's well worth it. At the same time, it is not a promise of unending pleasure. You know, it's like we live in a temporal world. Everything around us is temporal. Why would he invest so heavily in just making the temporal work when he has eternity in mind? We are aiming for eternity, and that's what our lives are about. Okay. He says, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? You also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only gone out and done our duty. Again, I guess enough on that point. I'd like to, to go to Philippians and just read a couple verses before I end. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So what we're told by Je regarding Jesus is that he became a servant. He, equal with God, 
says, I'll set this aside and I'll become a servant. I'll do what you've asked me to do. I'll take human form. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So his obedience led him to personal sacrifice. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So it is not without a return, but it, it had an extreme cost in this lifetime. Later, the next chapter, he says, Paul goes, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, I, I have a, a goal in mind. I have a prize in mind that I am living my life toward. So we all know that he went through incredible trauma and events that, that uh, were near death and, and things that none of us would want to walk through. But he says, even in that, I have this thing in mind, this prize that I am pursuing. He's writing this while sitting in jail. So, amazing. He says, for many of whom I've told you, now tell you even with tears, have become enemies of the cross of Christ, for their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. He says that's the opposite. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power it enables him even to subject all things to himself. So he says... I'm seeking a transformation that is well worth anything that I would pay in this lifetime. So I guess I just put that out again. It's like, Lord, help us to regularly ask ourselves, um, what is the particular cross you have in front of me at this point? What is the thing that means death to my self-will or death to others' wishes for me? And beyond that, what is the prize that you are promising as a result of this? It happens in this lifetime and the next. There, there is good that comes out of it, but we must embrace this idea. We are his servants. We yield to his call. We obey his command as part of our discipleship. Thank you for your scripture. It speaks life to us, guides our steps. Help each of us, Lord, to recognize what things you are placing as cross in our life, and then also how you would want to bring that into joy.